0: Hi, this is Bill Prater, and welcome to the Business Builder Show, where our mission is to provide you with timely, provocative, and actionable resources that inspire, promote, and accelerate your quest for business excellence. Today, we're going to talk about the principles of marketing made over 3,000 brands soar, and Eric Huberman will walk us through exactly how he did that, and it may be rub off on you. So Eric has a company called Hawk Media, which he put together in 2014, growing the company value to over $150 million and worked with over 3,000 brands worldwide. It's the fastest-growing marketing consultancy agency in the United States, and he's worked with brands like Red Bull, Verizon's Eddie Bauer. And uh, Eric's expanded his business portfolio with a company called Hawk Ventures, which raised over $25 million in its second fund, and Hawk AI, which has helped over 5,000 companies benchmark analytics, and improve result. Eric, it's great to have you with us here, sir.
1: Yeah, great to be here.
0: So 3000, tell us though, who's your ideal uh, client? Who do you serve?
1: Yeah, so that's been always been a fun question because what we found is our mission, our goal has always been to get the best people at what they do. And when I say what they do, it's different, very specific verticals in marketing and not industry. So it'd be a Facebook marketer, an email marketer, a web designer, but someone that is incredible at that. And what we found over time is if you get someone really talented, the industry is pretty can be agnostic. And so I actually just did an analysis and tried to go for broad industries and got a list of what are all the industries we've worked in over the past 10 years. And there's 69 of them. So it's and we've been successful in all of them. So we've been able to work with all these brands and anywhere from automotive to hospitality to obviously consumer brands is a big one a lot of fashion a lot of beauty a lot of health and wellness but we've worked with financial services we've worked with real estate development companies and just done very well across the board because it turns out when you take more of a logic and practical look at marketing and look at it as how do i use this tool to drive the result i'm trying to drive you can be pretty agnostic with it
0: i can imagine so tell us is there a common problems that you've identified Eric, these people share and how you can go about solving them. So what are those common problems?
1: Yeah, no, it's a few things. And I'd say reminding people that marketing is not that complicated and that there is logic and reason to it is super important. And then it's our job to explain that. And that's why you mentioned almost a direct quote from our book, The Hawk Method. It's that's why we wrote it was just to make, put everyone on the same page. My favorite review of the book, and it's a bestseller and everything. We got our first day, we got a one-star review that said, I don't get it. It's just modern marketing 101. So that's exactly what it is. Still my favorite one. But yeah, the thing about the book is it's really just distills everything down. And I think one of the biggest things people do is overcomplicate it and not think about, what are you trying to accomplish here? And I see this With startups, I see this with mid-market companies, and I see it with a lot of Fortune 500 CMOs. You hear the conversations in those rooms of we're here to be the cultural arbiters of our society, and so you're actually here to sell a product. I don't mind if you want to put out messages and do better for the global conversation because you're buying so much media, sure. But it's funny because the irony is a lot of times that's coming out of the mouths of people marketing things that are horrible for you or horrible for the environment or whatever that is. And yet they're talking about how they're going to help with progression of, and all these things. So let's get back to the roots of this is why you market to drive enterprise value for your company, whether that's profitable revenue growth, whatever that looks like, you're trying to create enterprise value for your business, increase stock price, private or public. That is legitimately what you're supposed to be focused on. And so what I try to do is show, here's how this all works in a nutshell, assuming that's your goal. And it really breaks down into three parts, awareness, nurturing, and trust and awareness. is just, how do you let someone know you exist? Things like advertising, word of mouth, ways to get your name out there, nurturing, which is the part most people miss. People assume that when you're marketing, you just put a bunch of stuff out there and then people just come and buy. And it's the truth is most people, the vast majority of people take a long time to purchase something. So like we see on the e-commerce side for a $50 purchase, it takes about three weeks. For $100, it's about five weeks. For $200, it's about six weeks. And it trails off from there between two and three months. But think about that. You're talking about anywhere between three weeks and three months for the average person to buy. If you just throw up an ad on TV or on Facebook or whatever, and then never do anything after that, you're hoping that over the next few months, that person remembers you on their own. And so nurturing is things like email marketing, SMS, following up with people, staying in touch, creating content, doing things to engage people above and beyond the purchase decision so that they actually convert over that period of time. And then trust, 75% of people won't buy from a company they don't inherently trust before you've been able to build a brand that people recognize that comes from third-party validation. So it's PR... Testimonials, reviews, in influencer marketing, all these things that help with that third-party validation. And I, I just sped through it, but that's the idea. And what we see is usually someone's missing one of those things. The most common is nurturing. The amount of again Fortune 500s I see that don't have an email marketing or CRM strategy is absurd to me. But it continues to happen. Been doing this. I've had Hawk Media almost a decade now, and been doing this about. 15 years. And the amount of companies I run into that still, even once we have this conversation, still don't implement it is pretty baffling because I would, on average, when I, when a company doesn't have a nurturing campaign and you implement it, I usually see their digital business triple. 3X is about average, which is a crazy number to be avoiding and leaving on the table when you're not pursuing that. So the, yeah, that that's really, that's probably the biggest mistake I see made, but it's really just usually falling short on one of these. So doing a ton of nurturing. I also see this, I we're hitting our email list. We're, you know, texting our customers. We're creating content. Okay. But what are you doing to drive new awareness? Nothing. This was working. It's, this is where the truth comes in. Like you're always going to be losing audience and customers, whether they move, they change jobs, they change interests, they die. There's a lot of things that are realities of people that you can't, when you're dealing with a finite group that you're not adding to, it's just going to automatically shrink. And so you have to always be adding more to it. And so that's the problem with awareness, with trust. If you're just constantly putting out ads that say how great you are, and then reminding them through email about how great you think you are, they go, yeah, I know. Of course, you own the company. You think you're great. We get it. Nobody else has validated you. You're not going to get a lot of sales there either. So that's why it's about firing on all cylinders is really what you need to do in marketing.
0: So maybe, uh, Eric, you could think of of a client of yours, soup to nuts, and give us sort of a case study. How does does somebody find you? Sure. How do you go about diagnosing their marketing situation? And then how do you propose and deliver, if you will, the services?
1: Yeah. So basically, I can just, in a nutshell, what we do is, people find us different ways we do. We, we drink our own punch. So we get, we do a lot of advertising. People see our ads and will find us. We get out there and are at events and visible all the time. So people are seeing our sales team and our business development team at different events. I'm speaking on stages every other week or so. We have a TV show on air right now on A&E called Kings of Barbecue. We're helping Cedric the Entertainer and Anthony Anderson launch their barbecue one. Uh, we've got our book that's sold about, I think over 30,000 copies now. Um, and we have tons of partners we work with. That's one of my favorite channels is where we're finding other companies that are non-competitive, that we basically both serve the same customer and can help each other and make a lot of intros back and forth. There's lots and lots of ways that we find business. Um. Cold calling, cold prospecting, I don't think really drives that much. So we don't do as much of that. But once we get in touch, we do a lot of nurturing. We stay in touch with them. We're sending content out. We're, talk- we're following up, checking in, all those kind of things. And so let's say that's all those methods of how we end up talking to someone. Once someone raises their hand and goes, okay, I need to talk to you about my marketing. we The first step we do is we have an initial sort of discovery call. We tell them a little bit more about us. We ask a lot of questions about their business. We have a whole sort of sheet to go through and a list of questions that we want to get. And then we usually ask for, a, if they're already established, let's say, like they're not brand new, haven't launched yet. Cause that there's a kind of playbook we can put together based on the industry they're in. Of here's what we want to do to launch a business. And we've done a lot of those as well. And so in that case, it's budget driven. How much money have you raised? Cause again, if they haven't launched yet, there's no revenue. There's nothing to base this off of other than what are, what's in the coffers. Let's put together a plan that fits the budgets and goals you have. And here's what we think can happen. And so that's the new business. Everyone else will run an audit. And so you mentioned Hawk AI, we now have about 8,000 companies, marketing and revenue and media data running through our pipes in real time. So we'll run an audit on an individual company based on the benchmarks of the industry and go, okay, so here's what you're doing. Here's what you're doing wrong. Here's where the opportunities are. Here's what we can help. Here's your financial constraints. So here are the things we can do. And we put together a list of, we're going to take over your Facebook and here's what we're going to do there and your Google. And we're going to take over your email marketing or whatever those are, but we menu it out and go, here's all the things we think we need to do based on what we discovered. And we'll go to them and say, here's what we discovered. Here's what, again, we'll go through all the details of this and go, here's what it will cost to work with us. If that looks good, let's go. Everything's a la carte though. So if there's some pushback here, we're happy to talk through it, but this is optimally what we're going to start with. These are the low hanging fruit pieces of your marketing. This is where we want to start. And assuming that goes well, we get started and immediately introduce on their team. And we have, again, individual experts in each vertical. So let's say it's Google, Facebook, and email as an example, we're going to loop in a Google marketer, a Facebook marketer, and an email marketer, have a kickoff call. And after a few weeks, we'll be ramped up and run in those departments for them. And then over time, we can ebb and flow as the needs change. Let's say Google's not performing for them and it just becomes a lost cause, shut it down, move that budget over somewhere else. Let's add TikTok. Let's add, oh, we need to re- redo your website now. It's time to spruce it up. All these kind of things we can loop people in and out as it's needed.
0: Eric, there's a lot of competition in the space you decided to jump into. So tell us how you differentiate yourself vis-a-vis the competition and if you will, leave them behind.
1: Yeah. It's, it's a really funny space because you're right. There's a ton of competition, but it reminds me, and I came from real estate. It reminds me of the real estate agent space where there's no barrier to entry, but the actual people that know what they're doing are very few and far between. And yes, you can literally stand up a website tomorrow and say you run an agency and go sell some poor people that are poor in terms of, I feel sorry for them. But that is a very common thing. I get hit up all the time by, I feel bad, but I'm, I'm 17, 18 years old. I just started my agency, but I don't know anything about marketing. Can you help? I'm like, yeah, don't start your agency. Go to work for someone. Go learn. Like, I didn't do this until I'd built and sold. I'd built 3 e-commerce companies, sold two of them, knew everything I could about digital marketing in the early days of it, and then started helping other people do it. Went, oh, wow, I can't find a single agency to help you because none of these guys are any good. I'm just going to build my own little team. So... When people ask, what's the secret to Hawks growth? Number one, actually know what you're doing and be able to grow businesses. It becomes really hard if you're on a hamster wheel of churning out business because you don't actually know. That's the thing is there's a, there's very few really good digital agencies. I'm friends, I'd say, with a good portion of the founders of those agencies because there's so much business to go around for the good ones. We don't really, like we know we're competitive, but it doesn't really matter because all of our competition are all these other agencies that there's 45,000 in the U.S., that are over-promising, under-delivering, giving the whole industry a bad name. And that's where we struggle. We don't struggle when it's us versus one of the other big guys. It's not really the struggle because then it's more of a culture fit. They can go with one or the other. They take it sometimes, we take it sometimes. It's not a big deal. And I don't know how an Omnicom or Dentsu or WPP feel, or the really big guys feel about each other. I'm sure they're bummed sometimes when they lose a deal to one of the others. But at the same time, again, there's plenty of business to go around. And that the secret is be the best at what we do, but really easy to work with. And that's been our marching orders from the beginning. Let's not make this complicated for our customers. Let's not be a pain to work with. Let's be really flexible, nimble, again, cost-effective, all these things. But then let's be the best at what we do. Let's get the most talented people. Let's train the most talented people. Let's curate the most talented people. And let's have our method that we stick to, that we know works. And then let's constantly watch for innovation. So how we think about it now is... That's where the venture fund came in we're not tech people i don't yes now we have a great tech team on the hockey AI side but that came through acquisition we bought a tech company before that not tech people and the reason we did that was because i tried to build our own hawk ai three different times with outside tech teams and wasted a million dollars and went i did, got nowhere so decided that was the move and thankfully now two years later it's been amazing with that team or almost two years um but what we ended up doing was, why don't we, we have cash flow from the agency. Why don't we fund all the innovations we're seeing in the space and the things we want to see. And that's when we started investing is about, well, we started investing off the balance sheet almost nine years ago with different innovative companies and companies. FabFit fund was our first investment TapCart, which is a very big mobile partner to Shopify and has done incredibly well. And then we started to see two things. One, it was helping with innovation and two, we were skyrocketing in terms of returns and so we said, yeah, we should do more of this. Raised our first small fund, made some really good bets there. And then, as you mentioned, raised our second fund that was, we closed that February of 22 and yeah, I've been investing out of that. So we got involved in the innovation side. So the idea was, okay, so we're, let's be the best at what we do from a marketing standpoint, let's then get involved in innovation and make sure that we're always staying ahead of the game and helping our clients do the same. And then what's now that we have this, Over 10 years, we've built this repository of all this data and all this knowledge. How do we automate that and leverage even more innovation with AI to actually truly be the best? And that's what we were able to launch September of last year, frankly, before this whole AI craze and before ChatGPT3 and all these things. And that has been a huge differentiator for us because now there's no debate. We know when we're performing and when we're not. We know what the market looks like. So it's easy for us to just go, this is how you should be. This is where you are. If, and if it, that doesn't work for you, if you're outperforming the market and it's not sustainable for you, your problem's the business model, not the marketing. And so it's things like that, that we can have very objective conversations around now and know where if we're missing, because we're not always perfect. So now we can also know, hey, we're falling short on this client with this. We need to fix this. This is what we need to do here. And we can be very prescriptive in that as well.
0: Yeah, it sounds to me like you're uh, simple, but sophisticated and leading edge same time. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so simple, simple is a really important one because I think that everybody loves to overcomplicate their own industry with jargon and make it sound really complicated. And then you sit down with someone. We talked about my podcast Hawk Talk. Like now that I've sat down with some of the top people in all these industries, I never understood. I just interviewed. I think he. I don't know his actual title, but I'm pretty sure it's the head of mechanical. What is it? Biomechanical engineering at MIT. And listening to how he came up with those things, and then listening to the guy that was the head of the CIA for Africa for 28 years, like. You, when If you ever heard that, you'd be like, I'm sure I would never understand that. And then when you talk to the person, you realize they're another person that has learned these things. But when you dumb it down, none of this is that complicated. So it takes a lack of ego to step away from that and be like, no, this is actually, let me explain this to you in layman's terms, which is why Andrew Huberman has gotten so popular because he takes neuroscience and brings it to the masses and actually simplifies it because you can in most of these things, but people don't want to let that happen.
0: Yeah, no, Very nicely articulated. So tell us about a Hawk Media. So how, what's the what's the germ of the business and how'd you get it started? How, how'd you find your employees and partners yep. maybe and the whole story maybe?
1: Yeah, no. So to start, so I went, went into real estate at a college in 2008, one week before Lehman Brothers went bankrupt. And that year I made $350. I did one broker opinion of value, meaning I was an agent that they asked to give a value on a property for a bank reason. And I just gave it to them. And that was it. That was literally, they paid me $350. That was it. That was my entire income for the year. And I had 30 something million in listings. So I had no problem getting people to trust me and say, yeah, you should sell our building, but no one was buying. There wasn't anything happening in 2009 or late 2008 to 2009. So I started scrambling and ended up trying to make a long story short, launching a music company that was basically like masterclass for the music business, but targeted at independent artists. So we're going to teach you how to make money as a musician and built that, raised a million dollars for it in 2009, built it for two years, got it profitable, and then hired a CEO to take my place. Cause I frankly realized it was never going to be a massive business. Um, independent artists are a tough customer to have. And so I, he took that over I then built and sold consecutively 2 e-commerce fashion companies. One was called Swag of the Month, a t-shirt subscription site I sold after a year and a half. And then I joined the incubator called Science that had just launched Dollar Shave Club, advised there for their portfolio brands on the marketing side, and then helped them launch an activewear brand that we sold a year later to Bally Total Fitness. And then when I sold that, I didn't know what I wanted to do next. And I started advising, I advised for Bally Total Fitness. I was being this fractional digital CMO, I worked with Red Bull, Verizon, we mentioned Eddie Bauer, a few other brands. And just that's when I started trying to find people to actually execute. And that's when I found that agencies have no idea what they're doing. It was like, I didn't, re- I thought the problem when I had my own businesses were just like I was running into the few bad agencies. And then I realized, no, this is a market problem. Like people really aren't, and this is again 10 years ago, people really didn't understand how things were changing. And where everything was still about, oh, how do we reach our demographic? It's like, you can reach your demographic anywhere now, social media and Google. This is easy. That's not the conversation anymore. And so I realized how behind these people were. And so I got sick of it after six months of a few agencies coming in and dropping the ball and making me look bad. I just hired my own little SWAT team, called the guy that was running the music company that I had, had hired three years prior and said, you've done it for three years. It's still profitable, but it's small and like never going to be meaningful. Why don't you, why don't we shut it down and you come over and do this with me? And so that's our president, my co-founder, Tony uh, Del Mercado came over. We built a small team. We're off to the races and now 10 years later. And I think we've, I I actually need to get the number, but I believe we've had seven or 800 people come through our doors at this point. I think currently we're around 220 and we've worked with at this point about 4,500 brands. And yeah, based on that model of what we just started, and it really started with me just advising, taking that income, hiring a few people to actually help these companies instead of trying to find all these other agencies and then just scaling it as the demand was there.
0: So you've got a significant and a fast growing business. So give us a little bit of insight in Eric, into your management system slash model.
1: Sure. I really try to find what are the key different sort of, how do I put it? and. It's like the key verticals in the business, like that would be departments in that sense. But what I mean by that is I look at how we serve clients as one part of it, and that's our services team. And that goes from a head of services to a head of each channel. So I had a Facebook, had a Google, had a email, and then down to the people actually practicing. And then, so that's, that is obviously the, the majority of the company But with that we also have a sales team a marketing team an hr team accounting team and finance team i should say i feel like i'm missing something and then sort of an overall operations where you have legal tech technology it that kind of stuff and i think i've got covered everything there but, and then the idea is they're like having ahead of each one of those. And then we have a few ancillary things. We have Hawk AI and Hawk Ventures as examples. Like those don't fall into those. We have our m a team, which currently sits outside of that and just reports directly to me. And so what I've done is tried to put ahead of each of those so that my job is almost, and I joked about this morning on a call, a traffic coordinator where it's like, whether it's strategic or actual inbound things happening, I have that person that I can call, frankly, get it off my plate let them execute so that I can be running and going and continuing to build while things are being handled by other people, frankly. So I'm always trying to make myself obsolete. And then it also allows me strategically to go, okay, what, do, where, based on the KPIs and all the things that I'm seeing in the business, what's the weak points right now? So we let's say we know this is our benchmark of where we wanna be across every KPI. Oh, and look, this one's missing this benchmark. Who's in charge of that? This person. Let's go talk to them. Let's strategize with them and work with that person on how are we going to get that to where we need it? So it's always allows me to see, and honestly, it feels whack-a-mole sometimes, but it's figuring out where the things, and what I've learned about running a business in general is it's always organized chaos. I don't care what size business. I don't care how buttoned up it looks on the outside. There isn't a single company in the world that is not organized chaos. And so, so that being said... It's figuring out how to manage that in a way that streamlines the management of that chaos. Oh, here's the issue. Who do I go to with this that has more insight than me? Go talk to them. Let's strategize together. Let's figure out a fix and move forward. Because there's a hundred things getting thrown at you every day. You need to be able to move through them very quickly.
0: So I I can tell listening to you, you're very strategic in your way you think. But do you put together an annual business plan kind of a thing for your organization or how do you go about
1: Generally, yeah. And not necessarily an annual business plan, but more of annual goals, annual initiatives. And then we adjust on a quarterly basis. And so that's really what we try to do is like we try to starting now, frankly, getting into late September here, we start planning out how next year is going to look and what the goals are, what we're trying to achieve, and then what we need to do to achieve that. And we make those predictions, we make those, set those initiatives, and we all agree on them. And then from there, frankly, again, you're going to get surprised. You're going to think that you need to do X, Y, Z to get this done. And when you start to do those things, you're going to realize, oh, that's not actually working how we needed it to work. The, the thing about a business like this is we're always trying to grow and build and do more and better than we did the year before and the month before, et cetera. And because of that, it's always uncharted territory. So like, we don't know. We're going to try a bunch of stuff. We're going to make some educated guesses. And then we're going to have to adjust based on how that's going.
0: So what do you feel uh, Eric is holding your back right now?
1: Currently, I would say we, last year we got, I don't know, like we, we made a lot. We, how do we put it? I slowed down a lot of the expansion just to see what was going on in the world. Cause we had a lot of headwinds happening just across marketing in general last year. And so I slowed things down and it turned out taking your foot off a of gas in the way that we did just hurt us more than helped us. Yeah. We saved money, but we actually had less growth because of it. And so catching up is basically where I'm at right now without trying without breaking something too bad. I'm trying to catch back up and get back ahead of where we were a year ago, which is which we're making a lot of progress on. But that is like the part the challenge right now is getting back to that cadence of momentum that we had, because I we did it to ourselves. We stopped our momentum ourselves.
0: Eric, how can our listeners get a hold of you? What's the best path for potential yep. customers, potential employees? What's the best path to get yep. in your in basket?
1: Yeah, on all social media at or slash Eric Huberman. And then on the customer side, like we, we allow for a free marketing audit for anyone that needs it. So feel free to okay. at hawkmedia.com is the easiest place for that. Okay, excellent.
0: Eric, uh, tell me, is there a a single question that maybe I should have thought of and asked you that I didn't think of or ask? And uh, tell us then the question and the answer to that.
1: Yeah, I would say people a lot of times want to know what the secret sauce to our growth has been. We've grown organically, bootstrapped, we haven't raised any money. And it's, what I've found is there's a level of as the leader, you have to just constantly incessantly be driving and pushing. And that never goes away. And there's no I hear a lot of people talk about having, oh yeah, I'm gonna hire a leadership team that's just gonna run my business for me. And until you're ready to like literally give up your business, because I some this is actually a good side note. A friend of mine told me they did that a year ago. We were at an event together. He's yeah, we got a CEO, he's taken over. I'm out, I'm gonna show on a ranch. This is gonna be awesome. And I was like, I was baffled because I've tried to even hire like senior leadership that I can take my foot off the gas with. And on it, we have an incredible team right now. Like sincerely, objectively, our team's awesome. And still, I need to push. Like they, they're still like on the, I, I am the one that's going to care more because it's mine. Like that's how it's going to work. And as much as they, they, they are great, and I mean that sincerely, they still, if without a push from me, people will sit, fall back into a little bit more of auto, autopilot and it doesn't yeah. push the business forward. And so knowing that, I think when people ask the secret sauce, it's, I've reminded myself all the time that there, there's no rest. You don't get to just chill unless you want to see a decline in your business. You've got to keep pushing. The moment you hit that goal, you've got to set the next goal. You've got to keep pushing. And I did, I've did. i done that n- naturally for a long time. But then I started pushing myself even to push a little harder because we all fall into this place of we just want to chill now. Like Everything's working. Everything's great. I want to relax. And that's when things start to fall apart. And so it's actually really important to constantly find that next opportunity, that next way of growing. You cannot rest on your laurels in this business. And I think when, again, people ask for the secret, be great at what you do, be really easy to work with and pleasure to work with and keep pushing all the time. And It's been a decade. it doesn't get it doesn't go away.
0: Well Sid. Thanks, Eric, very much.
1: Yeah, thank you. So everybody now,
0: in closing, let's focus on the single fact that our businesses do not become extraordinary in a single moment. Instead, you get there as a result of the owner first, creating a visionary strategy. second, having a management system to execute that strategy, and number three, leveraging high-performance teams. Now, you can get your hands on the key to those three things. Just go to getbillsgift.com. Thanks for listening. Eric, thanks for spending your time with us today.
1: Thanks for having me.